Well, welcome to the Bedford Bible Church podcast and uh, video cast, video blog, whatever you want to call it. And uh, we are going to look back on this past Sunday's services and sermons. And we're also going to look ahead to this coming Sunday to uh, get a preview of what we're going to be looking at as a church and as we prepare to worship together. Uh, last Sunday, we continued our series in Mark's account of the gospel, and we were in chapter 7. And unlike some of the previous messages, we, we took quite a large portion of scripture, and we were in chapter 7, verses 1 through 24. And the, the heart of the message was this, is we, we want to consider the difference between traditions and traditionalism. And Jesus speaks about traditions to try and break it down for us a little bit better. Um, I'm going to refer to traditions in the, the text as being traditionalism in our context. And so uh, the heart of it is this. As believers, we want to bring everything back to the scriptures. We want everything to be measured by the word of God. There are some traditions that we have that are fine. They're good. And we don't always recognize these traditions for what they are. But usually they are things that we just do on a regular basis. And they can be good things. They can help us to have expectations of what's going to happen in the service. It's our traditions that mean we have a general idea of how long our service is going to be. Uh, it's a tradition that gives us a connection with previous generations and kind of serve as a, a bridge to future generations. If we had no traditions, uh, you know, I don't think it would be a good thing. Traditionalism, on the other hand, is what I think we see in Mark chapter 7 that Jesus is confronting. And traditionalism is the dead faith of those still living according to one definition. Traditionalism is making a law where God has made no law. Traditionalism is setting up works and actions and deeds of human imagination and making those equivalent to God's word um, and in actual fact putting them above God's word. And so in Mark chapter 7, Jesus confronts this with the Pharisees. As I said, I want us to bring everything back to the Word of God. I recognize there are some things we do just because we've chosen to do them, but they're not uh, you know, rooted in Scripture, but neither are they unscriptural. And an easy example would be, you know, we stand for one hymn, we sit for another hymn, we stand for another hymn, we sing the doxology at the end of the service. These are traditions that we, we have. And they're harmless. You know, we don't say every church must stand and sit for the same songs for which we stand and sit. We know it's something that we just choose to do here. Uh, we don't say that our salvation is based upon sitting and standing in the right order. It's just what we've chosen to do. And we change it up at times. Um, there's a, a, one author who put it this way. Tradition is the living faith of those now dead. Traditionalism is the dead faith of those still living. And the example I shared on Sunday is from the movie uh, Fiddle on the Roof. And one of the main characters in that movie, Tevye, he says at one point, uh, because of our traditions, we've kept our balance for many, many years. And that's a good thing. Tradition does give us balance. But he also shows the weakness of traditionalism. He says, we always have our heads covered and wear a little pressure. This shows our constant devotion to God. You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you, I don't know, but it's a tradition. And to me, that is what kind of crosses over the line. Now, that's a fun part in the movie, but it kind of illustrates for us. Traditions can be a good thing. They give us balance. Traditionalism is, is something which is enforced upon us, but it's not rooted in the word of God. So the first thing we see in verses 1 through 5 of Mark chapter 7 is there is the judgment of traditionalism. Jesus is speaking to uh, the Pharisees, or he's, he's with his apostles, 
and as they are going about their business the they get ready to eat and the disciples didn't wash their hands in the the formulated ways that the Pharisees said that they should uh, for the sake of time I'm not going to go into all the detail I did about the laws and the, the Torah Mishnah Talmud all the commentaries and commentaries and commentaries that that the the Jewish people came up with uh, but they added to God's law in, in an extreme way and so the Pharisees see this in Mark chapter 7 and when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled that is to say with unwashing hands they found fault so the first thing to take notice of with traditionalism is there's an attention on the flesh it doesn't look at the heart or the motivation it doesn't even really look at truth it focuses on the outside it focuses on appearances they found fault they weren't there to edify to encourage to say look this is the right way that you should walk in they were simply there to pick there was an attention on the flesh but then they had an appeal to man's words for the pharisees and all the jews except they washed their hands we read in verse 3 uh, unless they wash their hands oft eat not and as i read that i can't but help think of the times in which we are in uh where there's so much said about hand washing and people finding fault and all this kind of stuff going on around us of course this is a very different context, but it did seem uh, a little bit relevant in that sense. Um, but the end of verse 3 there, it says, holding the tradition of the elders. You see, traditionalism, when you add to God's word, you can't go to God's word to prove what you want to, to teach others. You have to appeal to men's words, because that's ultimately where you're drawing your truth from. And that appeal to man's word, it ultimately uh, is going to cause a great many trouble uh, troubles, as we'll see in a moment. And then finally, verse 5, this accusative spirit. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashing hands? And then he's going to give a response. This accusative spirit was simply there to tear down. How do you know if you're following traditionalism? Well, you can't find what you believe in God's word, and it's destructive. It tears down. Uh, it's a focus on the outside, and it hurts. It doesn't build up. It doesn't encourage to Christ-likeness. Now, the danger of traditionalism, we see in verses 6 through 13 of Mark chapter 7, and Jesus brings out the first point here. Uh, he quotes Isaiah. He says, well, hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. He's quoting from Isaiah 29, verse 13. And the first thing you see with traditionalism is there is a focus on man's words, but there's a neglect of scripture. So the Bible gets neglected. Whenever men's words supersede the words of God, God's words are quickly forgotten. You look at every cult and a cult, whether it's the Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, or whatever it may be, even in the Roman Catholic Church, the Bible is set aside so that the words of men can be elevated. And even if they pay lip service to the Bible, as we have it, uh, they don't listen to it. They don't obey it. If there's ever a contradiction, they go with the words of men rather than the word of God. And so... The Bible gets neglected when you follow traditionalism. Uh, there is also an elevation of self in verse 8. Um, Jesus told them, But laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men. So they elevate themselves to be the arbiters of truth. They elevate themselves and, and they become the ones to decide what's important. When you elevate traditionalism, when you begin to teach that man's words have the same or greater importance than God's words, then you've made yourself the judge and jury of truth. And it's a very dangerous place to be. 
But then there is also the development of hypocrisy. In verse 9, he said unto them, For well you reject the commandment of God, that you may keep your own tradition. For Moses said, Honor thy father and thy mother, and whoso curseth mother or father, let him die the death. But you say, If a man shall say to his father or mother, It is korban, that is to say, a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. And ye suffer him no more to do aught for his father or his mother, making the word of God none effect through your tradition which you have delivered, and many such like things you do. So, the condemnation in verse 9 there is terrible. He says, full well you reject the commandment of God. You knowingly reject God's commandment. And the example he gives is that a child is, ought to honor his father and his mother. And here the child pretended to commit all his belongings to the Lord. He says, this Corban is dedicated to God. You know, I, you know, I can't help you, mom. I can't help you, dad. Uh, you know, I'm dedicating it to God. Uh, and instead of caring for aged parents, they come up with this loophole for a young child, for this older child, refusing to care for the parent. Traditionalism have found a way to neglect God's word and to uphold the words of men. And so you become a hypocrite. Uh, another reason you become a hypocrite is because the words of men can never be fully kept. You know, God never said he would give us grace to obey our own commands. He will give us grace to obey his commands. And so we fall and we fail and we become hypocrites. Well, of course, Jesus gives us freedom, freedom from traditionalism. There's an invitation to the truth in verses 14 through 16. And when he had called all the people unto him, he said unto them, Hearken unto me, every one of you, and understand, there is nothing from without a man that entereth into him that can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are they that defile him. Jesus says, look, this whole deal with washing your hands, that's not how a man gets defiled spiritually. You know, of course, if we don't wash our hands, we can get germs, we can get sick. But he says, ultimately, that the spiritual defilement, which is what the uh, Pharisees and the scribes said that they believed in, um, they believed that you don't wash your hands properly when you're going to go and eat, then you're going to spiritually defile yourself and you're unworthy. Jesus says to them, look, it's not what you physically put into your body that defiles you. It's what comes from the heart. He's freeing them from the traditions of man so that they can follow the freedom that they can have in God. Truth is always superior to tradition. The truth that Jesus has given to them is going to set them free. Uh, observance and obedience to the truth is not a burden, it's a joy, it's a privilege. And Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. So when we, the commandments of God are important, but we need to separate those from the commandments of men. So there's an invitation to the truth, and then Jesus gives an interpretation of defilement. In verse 17, it says, are you so without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatsoever thing from without entereth into the man, it cannot defile him, because it entereth into, not into his heart, but into the belly, and goes out with a draught, purging all meats. He says, what you eat isn't going to affect your, your spiritual being, your soul, your, your standing before God. In verse 20, Jesus said, that which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye. An evil eye, it's an old way of speaking about slander, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and defile the man. The Pharisees misdiagnosed the problem of sin, and so they misapplied any kind of solution. There was no true help. And that is what traditionalism does. Traditionalism doesn't understand the genuine problem. It doesn't give a proper solution. 
It leads to danger and hypocrisy and all kinds of hurts. Traditions can be a good thing. They give us balance. They connect with previous generations. They bridge to future generations. But those traditions are based upon the Word of God. And so we need to make sure everything goes back to God's Word. Everything we do is based upon the truth of God that sets us free. And while we may have traditions, we always need to submit those to the Word of God. So just a quick review there and a recap. Uh, I'm going to take a minute now and we'll go through a review of a sermon we had on Elisha's Life Sunday evening. Okay, so we've been doing an introduction into the life of Elisha and really we've been focusing for several weeks on 1 Kings 19 verses 11 through 21. And the first thing we took note of a couple of weeks ago is that Elisha was a man of character. He had character. He his his background, his family, his community had shaped him. And while we can't always do anything about our immediate surroundings, as we get older and as we can make choices about with whom we associate and who we allow to influence our lives, that is going to shape our character. If we've had a terrible background, it doesn't have to define who we are today. We can still make godly choices and choose who we will be for the glory of God, not being victims to whatever happened to us in the past, but by God having the victory to be what God has called for us to be. In 1 Kings chapter 19, we've got Elijah, Elisha, Jezebel, Ahab. You've got mention of Hazael, who's going to be king over Syria, Jehu's going to be king over Israel, and of course mention of the 7,000 faithful believers. And as we look at Elisha's call today, we're going to take note of the fact that every one of us has a calling as Christians. So in 1 Kings chapter 19 uh, and verse 16, I want to see that Elisha had a calling. Uh, God told Elijah, Jehu, the son of Nimshai, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. Every calling that we have must be from God. Now, back in the days of the prophets, they didn't have the Bible in the same way that we do now, and the prophets were understood to be the spokespeople or the spokesmen of God. And so the message is given to Elijah, and Elijah gives the message to Elisha, so his call ultimately comes from God. Elijah then goes to Elisha, he casts his mantle upon him, and that was understood that Elisha was being called. There was a call upon his life to leave what he was doing to go and be what God had him to be. We see that with the Apostle Paul. Paul said that it wasn't by the will of man or, or his own personal will or the will of others, but it was God that called him. It was God that gave him a special dispensation to go and preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Now, when Elijah goes to Elisha, he casts his mantle upon him, and Elisha immediately responds, and this is what he says. Um, uh, Elisha is found, and in 1 Kings 19, I'll find it, he says in verse 20, he left the oxen, ran after Elijah, and said, so it almost seems like Elijah passes by, throws his mantle upon him, and, and then moves on, and Elisha is shocked. He kind of you know gathers himself, runs after him, and he says this, Let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow thee. And he said, Elijah says to him, Go back again, but what have I done to thee? So this is a challenging reminder. So first of all, we saw Elisha was a chosen vessel, and I believe that God has chosen us to serve him, love him, serve others. So this challenging reminder, um, you know, don't forget the calling that's on your life. So Elijah allows Elisha, he says, Look, go back, say goodbye to your parents. 
But don't forget there's a calling. Don't forget that God has a task for you. He didn't want the comfort of home to distract him. He didn't want old ambitions to delay him. He didn't want his parents or anybody else to discourage him. He said, look, you do what God has called for you to do. He says, yes, you need to honor your parents. You need to take care of your responsibilities. He says, but don't forget, there's a calling on your life. And then finally, we see complete surrender in verse 20 and 21. Uh, he, or verse 21, he returned back from him, took a yoke of oxen, slew them, boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen and gave unto the people and they did eat. Then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. So he, he literally is burning bridges behind him. Elisha takes two of the 24 oxen that he'd been plowing with. He slaughters them. Then he takes the wood that made up the plow that they would control the animals with. He burns it. And, and figuratively and, and literally, he's burning bridges. He's committing himself to God. He's responding with zeal. Elisha seems like he had much to, to lose in human terms. He probably had some wealth and, you know, to have 24 yoke of oxen in a field large enough to need that many animals. You know, it's just signs here that he had some wealth. He was a leader. You know, he must have had others around him. He had a position of influence and he was willing to give it all up. He completely surrendered to God. And as Christians, we have been chosen for a task. If you don't know exactly what that task is in your local church to teach Sunday school, to uh, help in whatever capacity it may be, then know this, God has chosen you to be a witness. If you're a Christian, you must evangelize. You must witness. It's a part of your makeup. Uh, you know, it's who you are now. Uh, you know, you are to worship. You can't say you're a Christian, but not have a desire to worship God. It just doesn't flow. You know, there are things which you can be guaranteed you are called to do, even if you don't feel like you have a specific calling to a specific task. So you have a calling. Uh, you need to remember that calling. Remember what God wants you to do every day. And the ways you can be reminded, I'll be in your Bible daily, pray daily, fellowship with other Christians, be in church on a regular basis. It's a reminder of what God wants you to be and what God wants you to do. And then completely surrender. Surrender your will to God. Follow Him in all that He would have for you to do. All right, well, that was the review of our messages from last Sunday. And uh, now just looking ahead with a couple of announcements. Um, Sunday morning, we're going to be continuing through the life of Elisha. And we'll look at his courage. Uh, for Elisha to follow after Elijah took boldness and courage. And we're going to consider how we can apply that to the times in which we live. Sunday evening, we are going to be concluding our study in Mark chapter 7. And we will look at uh, how Jesus dealt with dogs. And if you want to find out more what that's about, go ahead and read the end of Mark chapter 7. And we're going to see the application there is for us. And I think there's some great illustrations of faith and persistence that we can uh, learn from and apply in our own lives. Uh, we will be getting all of the hymnbus back out. So we'll be having the full worship service. And uh, that will bring us back to a completely normal routine that we had before the shutdown. I look forward to seeing you then. Uh, if you need anything, uh, then please do give us a call here at the church. We'll be more than happy to help you any way that we can. And uh, I pray that God would do a work in our hearts this coming weekend. God bless you, and I hope to see you soon.